please stand for the reading of the word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And then they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the sound of their voices, the doors posts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the, from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So good to see everyone. You know, 15 years ago, Brenda and I came to this church for the first time. And from that very first Sunday, we knew we had come home. You know, you welcomed us, you loved us, and even more, you discipled us. It's been said that a true friend is one who brings you nearer to God. And you have all been true friends. And we're just very thankful to be here. I have to tell you, as I look out, you're all sitting in the same spot. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? We're Nazarenes. We don't move. Uh, it, it, I have to tell you, it made me think of uh, one time Kay Shanks organized everyone in the uh, congregation to sit in different seats for Pastor Solomon. I think it was his birthday. And he didn't say a word. He just went on with his uh, sermon. And afterwards, he told me, I have never been more confused or discombobulated than seeing you guys sit in the wrong places. So I thought a good way to begin our time together is to consider seasons. God's Word tells us that to everything, everything, there is a season. And we know that's true. Everything has a season. Ministry has seasons. I think of Moses. Moses lived the first 80 years of his life without a ministry. And then God called him, called him to, to minister to the Israelites, to lead them out of, out of Egypt, lead them to the, the, the promised land. And that season ended for Moses. He did that for 40 years, and it ended. God had Joshua assume a ministry as, uh, as the associate minister, the administrative assistant to Moses. And he did that for almost 40 years, and that season ended. It ended when God gave Joshua a new ministry. And that was to be the senior minister to the Israelites. Ministry has seasons, and so do churches. 
But unlike spring and summer and fall and winter, which are going to come no matter what, seasons in ministry depend on us. Seasons in a church depend on us, and it depends on how we respond to God. I have to tell you, I was so glad to learn that this is Family Sunday and that our kids are with us today. It's just great to see them, have them here. And uh, the kids are actually a perfect sermon illustration today because kids, children, are the embodiment of excitement and energy and enthusiasm and joy. I bet, kids, I bet you have things you just love to do, don't you? Sports? Are there sports you like? Sure. Just games you like to play. Things that you just really enjoy. I've thought about my grandkids. I've got grandkids in, in sports and theater. I even got a grandson that's in a fishing club. And they just get so excited about that. Well, I have a I have a song I want to play for you today. Just actually part of a song. And I have to I have to tell you, it's really one of my all-time favorites. Uh, it's not a hymn. It's not a Christian contemporary song. But I want you to, to see the uh, very meaningful theology in this song. So I want you to hear this. Uh, Kelly, crank it up a little bit. Uh, I want you to listen to this and see if you can stop from smiling. Thanks, Daryl. And thank you, Kelly, because uh, Kelly knows I can't sing, and when I try to sing, he turns my microphone way down. Uh, you knew I couldn't help but sing that song, so thank you for that. Uh, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Look at me. I could be center field. Don't you love the excitement, the joy, the attitude, that kind of response. Can't you just see a little kid so excited, so anxious, just so ready to play? You played softball and baseball, different sports. There's always one kid sitting on the bench, isn't there? 
There's always one kid, and he's probably not very good, and he's bouncing up and down, saying, put me in, coach. Put me in. I'm ready to play. Well, I believe that response is exactly what we see in the prophet Isaiah. When he hears the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? I believe Isaiah's response to God's question is a put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. I think that's his response. There's no hesitation. There's no reluctance. Isaiah doesn't ask questions. He doesn't even ask, go and do what? And think, this question really wasn't directed at Isaiah, was it? He's standing there. Isaiah could have simply not responded, but he responds immediately. And I believe he responds enthusiastically. I think he's saying, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Send me. Isaiah's being called to a ministry, and his response determines what kind of season his ministry will be. I think to really understand Isaiah's response, we need to understand the context of his encounter with God. Isaiah was born into a wealthy, aristocratic family, and he served the king's court as a scribe. A scribe, he would have had to have been well-educated, very intelligent, and he served King Uzziah, the king of Judah. While Israel, the northern kingdom, was being conquered by Assyria, under the reign of King Uzziah, Judah had experienced a time of stability and peace and prosperity. But King Uzziah died. It was a time when things began to decline, when markets crumbled. Other countries would begin to threaten Judah. It was a frightening time. I got to stop here. Kelly, am I getting something from the microphone? Okay. Hold on. Straight back. How's that? Is that better, Kelly? Is that better? It's driving me crazy. I hope that was. You know, I was preaching one time, and you know, you got the, the microphone on, and, and that part was on my belt, and I was getting right to the end of the, of the sermon, and that thing fell off and unplugged me, and I thought, yep, I'm done. I'm all finished. It's okay. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate that. Thank you, Pastor. So, King Uzziah dies. This is a frightening time in Judah. Just a, a frightening time. And it's in this time that Isaiah, he's preoccupied with world events and, and the news. 
and he's given a magnificent vision from God and about God. To understand Isaiah's experience, we've got to, to remember that there's a, an elaborate ritual in which only the high priest can enter that holiest part of the temple, the holy of holies, entering into God's presence. Only the high priest can do that. And there's a whole ritual before he does it. And they believe that no one could see God and live. But God gives Isaiah a magnificent vision. Isaiah sees himself in the temple. He's in the most holy of holies. And he sees the majesty and the glory of God. Isaiah's in the presence of God. And he sees the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Just imagine God sitting on the platform and the train of his robe filling this sanctuary. But more than that, spilling out, filling this entire church. And the seraphim, the angels, are above him calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And just the sound of the seraphim's voices shakes the doorposts and the threshold, the very foundation of the temple. Isaiah's experience with God is awe-inspiring, and he fears for his life. That's what he's been taught. And in contrast to God's holiness, Isaiah cries out, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So Isaiah is forgiven of his sins. And it's important to understand that this forgiveness came to Isaiah without the sacrifice of an animal. It came to him purely by God's grace, just as it does for us. You have to understand that Isaiah would have been amazed by all of this. It would fly in the face of everything he'd ever been taught about God in the Mosaic Law. Everything. This would have astounded and I think mystified Isaiah. And it's in this context that Isaiah hears God say, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And it's in the majesty, the glory, and the grace, and the forgiveness of God that Isaiah answers. Here am I. Send me. Here's the point. I want to make sure you get this. How we respond to God's call determines what season we're in. I believe God's calling us every day, every moment of every day, calling us to serve him, to serve his kingdom. So let me ask you, how are you responding to that? The call is there. We're to make disciples. We're to be his witnesses. 
call is there every moment of the day. How are you responding? Do you respond to serving God with great joy? The joy of a child saying, put me in, coach, put me in. Isaiah served God as a, uh, as a prophet for more than 40 years. And he served as a prophet for more than 40 years to people who refused to listen. But listen to what Isaiah wrote toward the end of his ministry. Chapter 61, verse 10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. After 40 years of serving God, being rejected in all that he was saying, served under five different kings, two of them were evil, evil kings. Two of those kings sacrificed their own children in the fire. They worshiped Baal. Two of those kings built altars to pagan gods in the temple. You can imagine the context of that. Isaiah served God for 40 years, and he's still rejoicing and still saying to God, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Well, let me ask you this. Do you answer God's call with great enthusiasm? That's holding nothing back. One of the most important traits in living a life of God and for God is enthusiasm. That's being zealous for God. You know, sometimes there's a temptation to answer his call based on how we feel. And that happens. Might feel, well, I'm not qualified. I'm too tired. I'm, I'm too busy happens, doesn't it? And I'll tell you, in, in, in years of jail ministry, there's been times I just didn't want to go. I just didn't want to. I was tired. I, I was busy with other stuff. Sometimes jail just smells. <laughs> and I thought, no, I just don't feel like going today. I'll tell you something great about God. As I'd go, and I've told folks, I walked into the jail without God. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't even want to be here, but I went. So I walked in without him. I've never walked out without him. The Holy Spirit was in that jail. The Holy Spirit was in those guys, and they blessed me. And God good. Paul admonishes us, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Paul encourages, uh, uh, encourages a fervent, passionate service to the Lord, energized by the Holy Spirit. Paul teaches us to persevere, to press on to the goal, to run the race to win, to serve God with an enthusiastic spirit. It's an enthusiasm that says, put me in, coach. Here am I. Send me. And finally, 
Do you answer God's call anticipating great things? <laughs> anticipating great things. William Carey was a missionary to India for 41 years and said that his ministry was inspired and led by God's words in Isaiah 54, beginning at verse 2. God says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. William Carey always preached the message, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Anticipating great things. You know, I believe that when my good friend, Pastor Brian Rogers, first came to here to Columbus First, I, I believe he brought warmth and light. And I think you responded with growth. I believe he brought springtime to Columbus First. And you responded in a great way. And I'll tell you, I believe there is a new season coming. There's a new season coming to Columbus first. We have a, a new pastor coming. And you know, by our response to God's calling, his call that we're receiving this moment, this day, that we can have warmth and light and growth even in these cold winter months. I think we can have springtime ready and waiting when the new pastor gets here. Let God hear the joy and enthusiasm and anticipation in our voices. Let him see it as well. Let him see it as we respond to his calling. Let it be. Here am I. Send me. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Well, I think our scripture today speaks of being in the presence of God, but I think it also speaks to experiencing his presence. I believe that we are never more in his presence than when we, when we are in worship. And I believe the sacrament of Holy Communion is one of those times where we truly experience his presence in our lives. You see, when you receive communion, you are publicly identifying yourself with Jesus Christ. You're making a statement. You're experiencing Christ. You're affirming your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're demonstrating your belief in salvation by grace alone. 
and you're examining your life because you're seeking this sacrament, you're seeking this experience, and you want it to be in a worthy manner. And I believe in communion that Jesus is inviting you to his last supper. It's not just symbolic. He's inviting you to his last supper. I believe when we receive communion, we're in the upper room. We are there with his disciples. And you're not just witnessing his last supper by receiving the communion elements. You're experiencing his words and actions. Stand with me if you would. And servers, if you'd like to come and, and prepare to serve. I want to say if you're a visitor today, if you are a visitor today, we invite you to take communion with us. You know, we don't believe that you have to be part of the Church of the Nazarene or a member of Columbus First to partake. Just that you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And you know, if you're not already a believer, if you're not already a follower of Christ, I can't think of a better moment for you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior than taking communion with us. If that's you today, I hope you will. I hope you'll join us. I hope you will receive communion today. And I hope that you'll speak with me or Pastor Nathan, Pastor Jaron, Pastor CJ, speak with someone. I just can't think of a better time. Well, we're going to receive uh, communion today in the form of intention where we dip the bread into the cup. We also have individual servings. Uh, if you prefer, you can take one of those or if you're on a gluten-free diet, that would be the one to use. And I want to say if it's not convenient for you to come and receive communion, we'll bring it to you. We'd be pleased to do that. Let's bow our heads. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We just thank you, Father, for the privilege of coming before your throne of grace. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity to, to receive the bread and the cup and to do that in remembrance of your sacrifice, your willing sacrifice of your body and blood on the cross at Calvary. Lord Jesus, may we never forget what you've done for us. May we never forget and live for you from this day on. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.